Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, my name is Jess Phillips, and this is yours sincerely. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and bad kind, and know the power of putting words on paper. So in this podcast, I want to give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Fee Glover is a journalist and presenter who has spent years helming shows for the BBC, including The Listening Project for BBC Radio 4 and My Perfect Country for the BBC World Service. She currently co-hosts the podcast Fortunately and recently released a book, Did I Say That Out Loud?, with her friend and co-host Jane Garvey. And today I'm excited to talk to her about the letters she would send to three people who mean the world to her. So, hello Fee, how are you? I am fine, but I'm a little bit chilly because my boiler's broken. Something that I think, uh, what do you reckon? About a third of the population suffer with at this time of year. But apart from that, no, I'm in good spirits, Ms Phillips. How are you? Uh, I mean, I've had better days. Um, Also, when you said home office, to me, when people say home office, (laughs) that's like the department that Pretty Patel runs. (laughs) Like that. Oh, my God, they're at the home office. They don't mean the home (laughs) office. And so it is lovely for me to talk to you about nice things and nice people and people that you love, because it will cheer me up no end and rebuild my faith in humanity that is currently at the lowest possible ebb. Do you have any other sacred letters? We've had people so far on this podcast, I've had people say somebody had had a letter from Nelson Mandela. Someone had had one from Bill Clinton. We had the Queen of Denmark. Now, you're just making me feel really bad, Jess, because (laughs) (laughs) because let me just think, have I ever had just a quick post? Christopher Biggins was another one. Christopher Biggins on the same level as the Queen of Denmark. Mikhail Gorbachev, have I ever had a letter from him? (laughs) No, turns out I haven't. I haven't had any letters from any famous people at all. Now, I wasn't expecting to immediately be able to indulge my inferiority complex, but... That appears to have happened. To be fair, one of them was Alistair Campbell, and he was like a sort of, you know, world leader for a while. He's bound to have had letters from world leaders. The other ones were like Christopher Biggins level. Somebody had written a letter to Christopher Biggins. So don't worry. Yeah, I can honestly say that I don't have any kind of... You've never written, you never wrote to the Prime Minister or... 
when you were a kid or? Nope. I mean, I've got one of those statutory responses from Blue Peter. Does that count? That's good. Yeah, that's good. What was the response? Oh, God. Well, I think I entered a limerick competition. And I did get a badge. I didn't win the competition, but I got a badge. So I have asked you to prepare three stories of people you would like to send letters to. And the first person is somebody who means the world to you. Now, I've just got to check something with you first, please. Okay. yes. Uh, Are you an animal lover? Um, I don't hate animals. Okay, this isn't going to go well. (laughs) I don't hate animals. I resent sometimes how people like them more than they like people but I don't hate them I've got two cats okay okay so I wanted to write a letter to my dog Nancy and I was imagining actually that this might evoke in you exactly that response because I share with you that feeling sometimes when you know when I'm out walking Nancy and I'll bump into another dog walker who genuinely treats their dog like a child, they're talking to their dog all the time, kind of discussing world events with them, you know, saying things like, I don't think you want to go into that bush, do you, Marley? And you kind of think, well, of course he wants to go into a bush. He's a dog. He's not going to listen to reason, is he? Uh, so I get annoyed with that level of kind of animal love. But I did just want to note Nancy, who is my trusted greyhound in a letter because she came into our family life at a really important time and she's a beautiful creature and she's just made a world of difference to us so I'm not going to get all soppy and sentimental and kind of give her human characteristics and also the key thing here Jess is I'm not expecting her to read the letter I do know that she can't do that there are some dogs that can smell cancer I've been led to believe by magazine tv programs so if dogs can smell cancer then I you know maybe Nancy could one day learn to read the letter (laughs) Well, I don't dispute that dogs can smell cancer. And there is a current research project which is trying to train those very, very clever sniffer dogs to sniff out COVID cases, which, you know, could turn out to be a thing. Everyone got a dog in lockdown, so there's a glut. Yes. So there'll be put a, them lot to of, use. a lot of sniffing yeah, them to use. going on. So there are two reasons why Nancy won't ever be able to read the letter. One, that she's a dog. And two, she's very, very beautiful, but she's quite stupid. And that's one of the many reasons why we love her, because she is one of those dogs who just does devotion, completely and utterly does devotion. So she's a greyhound rescue dog. She would have had a horrible life. I'm not a fan of greyhound racing at all. I think it's a really nasty sport and it's just a sport to make humans money. There's nothing in it for the dogs found myself divorced when I was 48, which I really wasn't expecting at all. And I really wanted a constant companion. Uh, I hadn't had a dog. I've always had animals of one sort or another. At one point, we had 39 guinea pigs, which might be for a different podcast. But I did want to get a really solid kind of thing back in my life. So a couple of people had suggested greyhounds. And there's something quite comical about us when we're out and about because I'm a very short woman and she's an enormous dog. <laughs> and so we got Nancy. I went up to the kennels to pick her up and we did have that kind of bonding moment where, you know, she was definitely the right dog for me. And I brought her home. I've got two teenagers here as well. And she has just been the most amazing 
family companion and she genuinely made things an awful lot better so that's what i would say in a letter to her i'm getting to you lady aren't i i'm getting i mean to i you. have to say everybody i know who has a greyhound like is totally devoted to their greyhound they seem to be like the nicest dogs mainly the stupid thing as well like that's charming isn't it that's a charming thing i don't like when my cats are like wily like, I like it when they try and be wily and then they fall off something. There's far more, I appreciate that far more. Uh, I'm like doofus cat. And it makes me, it endears me to them because cats are essentially conservative members of parliament. They're a conservative people. They're, they're, they're interested in the self. Whereas dogs, you know, they are loving pack animals. But uh, people with greyhounds, no, this is sound terrible. You are getting to me and I feel now sad. So I'm going to say this. Don't they have quite a short lifespan, greyhounds? That's very, that's very early to go so dark, isn't it? Yes, they don't have the greatest longevity in the in the dog kingdom, but I think quite often that's because they have had a horrible had early terrible life. lives. Yeah. Uh, so I think you know the average is somewhere between twelve and fifteen years. Nancy's. And how old is Nancy? She's nine. She's nine. Okay, we're um, all right then. But I think if you treat them very well and you're very kind to them, and they're also they're extremely easy to keep. You know, you feed them, you take them for a 40-minute walk every day. They have one run and then they sleep all of the time. And, uh, you know, she's just a, a wonderful, calm, solid, great big heft of a thing in our family house. So I love her to bits for that. Oh, she sounds lovely. And I really like greyhounds. They have such lovely temperament. And I think it does come actually from them largely being rescued. There was a big greyhound stadium in my constituency that shut down. And there's a woman um, who walks in the park near my office. Uh, she had loads of the greyhounds there. She's got like eight greyhounds that she walks across the lo- local wreck. Yeah, they just are the nicest, gentlest dogs. They definitely make a difference in your life. I would never have said this before I had pets myself. I was very cynical. Um, But especially as well in cases of sadness and upset, I think they are amazing. It's amazing for people to have pets. And cases of uh, autistic children um, having pets and things, there's lots of research into things like that, that the way that sort of the comfort that you can get from an animal. So So I was, you know, I, I was, I openly introduced Nancy as my emotional support dog because she just went every everywhere with me and also it just was a really sensible thing to do because then you get out of the house and you've got to meet new people and you have something that you've got to go and do every day that's true dog people chat yeah they really chat and the wonderful thing about having a dog is that sometimes you can just pretend you're on your way to something else you know so you don't always have to stop and chat because sometimes only occasionally only occasionally a group of dog walkers they can get stuck on certain topics that we all know over the last couple of years can be a little bit dull and nobody's going to shift their perspective you know while standing in the middle of Shoreditch Park as to whether or not they do want to leave the European Union so sometimes it's been good to you know just be able to say I'm terribly sorry Uh, Nancy's got an upset stomach today we better go she's good in all sorts of ways really good in all sorts of ways and and I just love her to bits actually I really do and uh normally at this point I say do you think that this person knows that you appreciate them uh so in in as broadly as you could answer that I'm sure she does I mean you feed her I'm assuming (laughs) (laughs) 
I do feed her, and she's never more than uh, about a foot away from me in the house. So she's reached that wonderful point, and it's a terribly selfish thing, isn't it? Really, you just you want a dog to just love you. So she's reached that point where she is doting, and I appreciate that enormously. So yes, I think she does get it. It did take a while, though. She was definitely not a happy spirit when she first came to us. To, and it did take a while for all of that to unfurl. But again, I think that's quite good karma, you know, just to, to take an animal in and make their life a little bit better. And it's good for the kids to learn about that. So, yeah. Also, it's nice to hear that you had a rescue dog because my experience of owning pets comes from people dying and nobody being able to look after their pets. That's why we had dogs and cats as children or rabbits and guinea pigs. This is what my grandparents who, you know, like all people in the 1940s and 50s seem to have a menagerie of animals, budgies, turtles. I mean, the pet trade in the 1950s must have been mega. And so whenever my grandparents died, we ended up with some pets of some variety and or there was somebody down the pub whose cat had had a kitten. So you'd go and get some free kittens and then I find myself with friends who are spending thousands of pounds buying what I used to call a mongrel and is now got a fancy name. It's a crossbreed of dogs, which used to be a mongrel. And now all dogs have like, you know, a portmanteau uh, attached to them. And my husband is like when people, my friend has a cockapoo. And when we're at the cafe with her, people will be like, oh, what is it? And my husband's like, it's a dog. So I'm very with you on that. And the latest one that we tried to deconstruct was a, a cavapouchon. So do you want to have, <laughs> have a guess what's in a cavapouchon? Because I'm with you. I mean, a cavapoochon, so all of these portmanteau names, I mean, they are dogs that have just been randy with dogs that don't look like them. I mean, that's what it boils down to, isn't it? But it's It's just mongrel. We used to call it mongrel. Yep. But you're right, it's now a crossbreed. It's a crossbreed. It's a crossbreed. And it costs £17,000. And people are nicking them from the parks where I live as well. Well, also, my daughter's got this fantastic story, which may be an urban myth. The Pomeranian is very, very popular, especially in urban settings, because it's a tiny thing, but it's very cute, big, fluffy tail. Are they the white ones? Uh, No, they they are usually a kind of russet-coloured. Okay. And there's this story of a, a woman who got a puppy, paid a lot of money, like 1,500 quid for a Pomeranian puppy, who turned out to be very aggressive. So she took her to the local vet and said, you know, what can I do about this? Because it just keeps biting me. And the vet said, well, nothing, because it's a fox. (laughs) That is the best story I have ever heard. That is absolutely brilliant isn't it isn't it so even if it's an urban myth let's just keep keep that one i mean apocryphal stories are always the best so this is absolutely brilliant so how would you sign off the letter to nancy that that you will have to read to her yes i would sign off the letter saying you will never know how much we have adored you and we hope that we've given you a happier life than the one that you came from come here sit down and shut up and that will be it uh, I do spend a lot of my time uh, shouting, come here, because as a greyhound, if I let her off the lead and she scents something, 
or see something in the distance. Uh, we live in East London. She could be in Birmingham by lunchtime. She goes so fast. Fast. I know. I see people throwing a frisbee for a greyhound and it will pelt and be able to get it. It's amazing. They're amazingly majestic creatures uh, when they're running. But yeah, come here. But it's like, that's like being a parent of basically a naught to 10 year old, isn't it? That I could just be replaced with uh, a recording about saying, where are your shoes? Where are your shoes? Where are your shoes? Uh, where have you put your shoes? I mean, that's all I said for a, a good many years. Nancy sounds amazing, and I'm glad that she's not some sort of portmanteau dog. That makes me like her a little bit more. Not that I hate portmanteau dogs. I like them. I like all animals. Don't send letters to me saying that I hate animals. I also just like women as well. <laughs> I also just would like it if women's charities got as much money. To be serious, I completely agree with you. And you know, and sometimes you know, when you hear of people who've you know be- bequeathed all of their money to the tour- rescue sanctuary you know you do think uh, well that's lovely but actually dot 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 so the second letter I've asked you to prepare is a letter to someone who's no longer around so who would that letter be for uh, she'll be very very old by now and she may not be with us anymore but she was just one of those people who I think of her more often than I can ever imagine I would have done because she was a brilliant teacher at the time. She she taught me classical history. So in the school, she was capable of teaching Greek and Latin. I wasn't capable of learning either of those languages. So I did the kind of the slightly easier version of classical history. And I did it for O level and for A level. And there was definitely a point in the sixth form when I was doing it at A level where it was the only lesson that I managed to attend and still kind of concentrate and try and do well in. And that was entirely down to her. And she was just a brilliant teacher. She was very calm. She was very thoughtful. She had a kind of eccentric finesse about her that was just very appealing. And she just said a couple of things to me that have stayed with me to this day. And I don't think you realise, do you, when you're younger... I mean, it's kind of easy to say that a teacher helped you along the way and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's not until much further down the road, possibly when you've got kids of your own, that you realise quite what a mark that person has made. Also, when you try and teach your children anything is when you realise that teaching is a genuine skill (laughs) and a talent that you have to be trained to do because... I wanted to harm myself after trying to teach my children to read. I'm like, the word is who. We've just read it eight times. How have you not got it? It's been on the page before. You said it then. Why can't you say it now? I had absolutely no patience with trying to teach my children to read and it made me very, very grateful to the teachers who had tried to bother with me um, and with my children. So, Mrs Rankin, classics? Is, is, is classical history essentially classics? No. So when oh, I don't say, even know what it is. See, when people say classics, they mean the Greek and Latin, you know, the languages as well as the history. But also like the stories. Yes. But I just did classical civilization, so that wasn't the languages. You know, I do not want to big up my part in this at all. 
I did classical civilization as an A level and then went on to university to read something completely different, which I was hopeless at, and then reverted to doing classical history as a degree. So, you know, Mrs. Rankin really powered me through a lot of my educational years <laughs> in a kind of single subject way. But also there was just something about the respect that she gave to the subject, which I think now is what made her such a great teacher because in fact all of the stories of life are there in those early classical poems the stories of the Iliad and the Odyssey and certainly in all of the Greek tragedy you know we we still see hubris play out power aggression male dominance they're all there in Greek tragedy and you know if you ever want to feel comforted so you can better understand the world, you can read those texts. And if you ever want to feel really depressed that humans don't seem to be able to move on, you can read the same texts. I mean, I did um, I did a play thing once where loads of different people were asked to write different acts of a play, and I was asked to write like an opening speech uh, in this play that was a classic... I can't even remember the name of the thing that it was an adaptation of because I did Latin for one year and totally flunked it. I literally can't remember anything and I'd really like to because then I'd like to catch the Prime Minister out. It was a play about women having to impersonate men in order to have political power and I remember thinking, Jesus, same bloody play today. Like, so, like we've not come on at all and I, I felt like sort of depressed by that fact. <laughs> well, it, but it's extraordinary how little we've come on and in fact I think Pat Barker's latest novel is a reworking of the Trojan Women which is a play, you know, written thousands of years ago, which is an astonishing play because it was written by a man, but it's totally dedicated to the experience and suffering of women who are left behind to hold the fort while the men go off to war, you know, then to lose their husbands and their sons and their brothers as well. I mean, you know, it's a very dark play, uh, but the fact that, you know, one of our greatest novelists uh, is reworking something from so long ago that could be current you know that's still what we see you know being played out in Afghanistan at the moment apart from anywhere else so all of those trees are there and Mrs Rankin just you know she broadened the minds of some pretty uh, insular Hampshire girls you know I was at an all-girls school in Winchester um, and she just made us think about different things in quite a grown-up way and and I always remember we had one class when we were doing uh, we were doing some kind of treatise on the art on pots and there was you know there were all those those uh, pictures of men with their arrows and stuff. And we got the giggles about the fact that they keep their arrows in a very large quiver. And we just couldn't, we couldn't hold it together at all. And she was so fantastic. She just said, look at how embarrassing you are. You know, you're, you're laughing at something that's just so stupid and silly. And just get over yourselves. Because really, you know, the joke's on you and it's not particularly funny. And there's something, I'm not really telling it very well, but there's something in the way that she just really encouraged us to just grow up, which proved to be quite enticing, actually. She never lost her, her rag with us, but she just kind of drew us out of ourselves, and I'm very grateful to her for that. Oh, wow. She sounds, it made me, listening to you talk, want to read some more classical history. Uh, in my head, you're talking about Mary Beard. Uh, that's what she looks like in my head. But it makes me want to go and look at those stories again, or at all. <laughs> but you're, you're right, I mean, like that what modern-day novelists, you know, look, looking back to that, my son's favourite film, he's 16 years old, is Oh Brother, Where Art They? which is just 
the, the Odyssey. So, and um, yeah, I think that they they are just absolute classics. Just yesterday, I described the relationship of two people in Westminster who I will not name as being Edipal. <laughs> so it, uh, it it definitely uh, it comes up a lot. Certainly where I work. <laughs> Yeah, just it all hangs around. And it is depressing that we could still use the imprint from thousands of years ago to describe the actions, you know, that bring harm to people. That's extraordinary that we haven't really managed to move on. But it's good to know those stories. Very good to know them. Was Mrs Rankin, like, was there any, like, hot school gossip about her? No, because she was beautifully turned out. And incredibly, she was just very dignified. And and we really weren't. But she always used to come into school in a, a tweed skirt and a freshly pressed shirt, uh, Im- just immaculate. And I think nothing that we threw at her in our stupid, silly girl school way ever seemed to, you know, knock a hair out of place. She was just, uh, she was very much her own woman. And, and I suppose that's what I remember about her, as well as all the things that she taught us. You know, just there's something about it. She just kind of held her own. I mean... It makes me, I think that, you know, lots of people have a story to tell like this about a teacher. It makes me sort of feel a bit sad about the experiences of my friends who are teachers, about how I feel, and maybe nostalgia is a dangerous drug and all that that sort of jazz. I I just really hope that the children of today have those same feelings and that teachers aren't just sort of wildly overstretched with, you know, expectation and uh, amongst other things, as well as having to be social workers a lot of the time on top of their jobs to really like be making people love a subject and like be memorable and I just like loads of my friends who are teachers are a bit wrung out. Everyone's great teacher is someone who stepped out of what they were doing you know and towards them so if you're not allowing teachers the bandwidth or you're taking away their energy to be able to do that I think that that's not doing the kids a great service is it no absolutely not and the ones you remember are the ones that often there's a sort of quirky eccentricity to the ones that you remember like we, we really need to lean into eccentricities much much more i think especially in teachers there should be a test how eccentric are you and you'd have to be quite eccentric to be one because then you'd be memorable so how would you sign off the letter to mrs rankin so to mrs rankin uh, i would note that thousands of kids would have passed through her classroom and all would have had the same experience as me so on behalf of all of us thank you very much and i'm really sorry for dicking around at the back <laughs> and, and if i could have written all good wishes in greek i would have done jess but i couldn't oh. so it would just have to be all good wishes google it i mean <laughs> mrs rankin's not gonna know <laughs> she's not gonna know you googled it Copy and paste, love. (laughs) Although it would inevitably be slightly wrong. My brother is a uh, French uh, professor of French translation, uh, a lecturer in French translation in France. And at Christmas time, we often read over student papers where they're translating it into English. And it's just utterly charming. The whole thing is utterly charming. But like whenever I try and speak to him in French, when I copy and paste it from Google, he's just literally like, I can see that that, you you know, that that is not at all what you're trying to say. So Mrs. Rankin would see through it. She would you. see through it immediately. And she'd take me outside to her favourite windowsill. We always have to have chats by the windowsill. And she would give me one of her suitably dignified but definitely patronising lectures. And I would pay attention to her very much. 
Oh, well, good old Mrs Rankin. She's made me want to go and read some more classic history. Do you think that Mrs Rankin knew that you appreciated her at the time? Probably not at the time, but I did get back in touch with her a couple of years after I'd left university when I was a bit lost and I didn't quite know what to do. And I thought, well, there's one person who will tell me the truth about, you know, what I should aim for. So I did write to her and I did say, you know, you made a world of difference to me. And she bothered to write back and her advice was spot on then. So I hope she realised how much I appreciated her. Yeah. Well, I think she did if you wrote to her. That's lovely. That's a lovely thing to do, like write to your teacher uh, afterwards. Yeah, and and her advice was great, and she she basically said... What did she say? Well, I was thinking... It's Become a, a broadcaster. Yes, she, she did, actually. <laughs> so I was, in a, I, was a, I was working for the BBC in a job that was, had the glorified title of researcher, but it wasn't. It was a news information research, and it involved cutting articles out of newspapers in the morning and then filing them in the afternoon for more important and cleverer people who had managed to become journalists to then come in and ask for, you know, if they wanted a story with some background detail. And, uh, you know, I just I just wasn't sure that I was going to kind of get anywhere with that. And so I thought, well, maybe I should just go and do something completely different. So I wrote to her and just said, what do you think? And she wrote back and said, no, you know, that sounds like a great opportunity. You know, you just have to make the most of it and grit your teeth and set your sights a bit higher and crack on, love. So I did. Oh, I like the sound of her. Crack on. Crack on and don't be a dick are basically my two pieces of life advice. Also, don't worry about... Are they in Hansard yet? Yeah, that, uh, crack on is... There's a gif of me saying it in Parliament to crack on. Always, like, especially as a politician uh, and as a public figure, yourself, you will face this sometimes. You think you'll be invited to something or there's something that you want to go to or something or see and, or do or say and you think, oh, maybe I'll get into trouble for this or, you know, maybe I shouldn't or whatever. And I always think, think about the anecdote. Do it for the anecdote. My friend today went on a dating app and she said, I'm entirely doing this because of you, Jess, because I'm trying to think, you know, if nothing else, there'll be some good anecdotes that come from this. Uh, so think, focus on the anecdote, I think, is my message in life. That's like Nora Ephron's Everything is Copy. So she said yeah. that about her life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly what that. mistakes you make, doesn't matter what you do, everything is copy. Everything. We'll be back for Fee's final letter after a short break. So, your final letter that I've asked you to uh, prepare is to somebody who uh, perhaps doesn't know the effect that they've had on your life. So, who would that be? Well, I mean, I really can definitively say this person would not uh, think that she had had an effect on my life because it's Taylor Swift. <laughs> this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> I can pretty much guarantee she's never thought, gosh, I hope that that's really touched Fee Glover's life. Don't be so sure. She might have thought that. You never know. She's an enigma. She might have. Well, I, I think she is She is such a phenomenon. I mean, a proper, proper human phenomenon. So if you just look at her recording career, nearly every record that she's released has broken some kind of bar- you know, barrier. It, I think she sold over 210 million records. You know, the woman is almost half my age. She started when she was 14. She is a proper singer-songwriter herself who seems to draw other artists towards her in terms of collaboration rather than going in search of other artists to kind of attach herself to. But she's just much more than that. I think she, in terms of the power that she has as a young woman and what she's done with it, I think she's just remarkable. So I don't know whether you've seen Miss Americana, which is the documentary. It's really worth a watch. So it's one of those, you know, follow Taylor around for a couple of years. I think she did it in 2016, 2017. And it's a really brilliant, brilliantly honest depiction of what life is like when you're a superstar. But it also contains something of a kind of metamorphosis of her own life to become much more of a political animal than just uh, the kind of superstar, glamorous, unbelievably talented singer-songwriter so that she already was. Well. She just has used her power just superbly. When she felt that the record companies that she had signed with hadn't done her deals correctly and were basically taking her talent and just making money out of it. We've seen that happen to artists before and we've seen how upset they become. But she just re-released all of her records so that she kept the royalties and they didn't. She was the victim of a sexual assault. The guy tried to counter-sue her for defamation and loss of his job. And she just said, no, you know, I'm going to make sure that I tell my story and you don't win over me. So she won that case too. I think she's incredibly supportive of 
other artists. And then she just developed this political voice. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to be uh, partisan about this, but what she was trying to make sure she could do was to encourage young people to just stay in the political process, to, you know, to understand the relevance of legislature in their own lives and also to be quite an interesting and thoughtful voice in the middle of those two chasms in America about religion and about gay rights in particular and about where women feel safest. So I think on all fronts, she's just a glorious, glorious young woman. I mean, you've totally sold her. I mean, not not that she's written some of the, you know, the best pop hits ever. Uh, So, you know, didn't need much selling. I had no idea about the defamation thing. And that is really interesting to me because I find it very, 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 very worrying. The sort of chilling effect of, uh, and I see it it a lot uh, at the moment of if women tell their stories, they're being sued um, or threatened at least. uh, and, And not, you know, just big Hollywood women, uh, some of whom I have met in the the plight of the the sort of campaign around this. But, you know, a woman writing on Facebook that, you know, it, you know, previous, not saying names or anything previously, my ex, my ex-partner tried to strangle me and then being like sued to take it down. Like, you know, that's your story. You're, you've got to be allowed to, you know, everything is copy you've got to be allowed to tell your story and not fall on this if there's no criminal charge then you know all that jazz terribly silencing for women yes so it's during all of this kind of uh, furore between her and Marsha Blackburn who was the Tennessee Republican senator who she was having a go at over gay rights and women's rights so she she goes off on one and then she catches herself and she apologizes and says you know oh gosh you know uh, I'm I'm sorry I you know I shouldn't be saying all of that and then she catches herself again and she says god what am I doing apologizing for telling my own stories while sitting in my own house that I bought with the money that I've made from my life. And she says it more eloquently than that. But it's such a glorious moment where even this sexy superstar felt that she had to apologise in case she was being too loud, in case she was saying too much. And then she goes, stuff it. It's my life. They're my stories. It's my money. And it was just a beautiful moment. So I just, I love her to bits. Oh, Taylor. <laughs> I'm become a Taylor super fan. Although, you know, I was already a bit of a fan, but now I'm going to become a Taylor super fan. But you're so right that that idea that women still all feel that they have to apologise. The thing that I find, um, I, I'm not I'm not very apologetic, actually, and I've learnt not to be apologetic, but I, I do feel that sometimes I have to act grateful for the bare minimum. That, like, you know, you have to be like, uh, I'm so very grateful to, you know, the minister or the government for, you know, saying that we might fund some refuges. And it's just sort of like, you know, should, I remember one of my constituents saying to me once, what more do you want, love? You've got the vote. And it's just like, oh, I should be just grateful that I'm allowed to take part in this political system. Everything else that is bad about it. Oh, I'm just grateful that you've allowed me to turn up to the building. So and um, I think that 
too often women have to show sorrow or gratitude uh, in a way that men don't have to. So good on Taylor. So what would you? How would you sign off your letter to Taylor Swift? I mean, maybe do it to music uh, if you if you wish. That'd be very unwise. Uh, so I would say, uh, from a middle-aged mum whose life you couldn't possibly have imagined you touch, I would say thank you and don't ever stop. Do you think you'll ever get to meet Taylor Swift? It would be amazing if I did, but I'd just do that terrible super fan thing where I would just start slightly dribbling and stare at her in that horrible kind of way that you watch other people doing and think, oh, that's, that's not very nice, is it? But I would be properly starstruck. And, and I think it's that strange thing as well. We put music so deep into our brains now, don't we, with headphones and our, you know, super woofing whatever it is, sound systems, and people become so part of you. So one of her latest albums, Folklore, I listened to so much during the pandemic. It was properly in, you know, properly in my head. And if I ever actually met her, I mean, I'd just fall apart. I really would, because I feel like I've got a little part of her. I think that she would be like, don't be daft, it's lovely to meet you, it's my pleasure is how I imagine she would be. Maybe she would. And maybe she'll come along to one of our book signings and, you know, Jane and I will look up. I've written a book with Jane Garvey and we'll go, oh, would you like this to Taylor? Should we just put, or should we put to Swifty? I think you like? that it's not unlikely that we could try and get her to a book signing with you and Jane Garvey. I think it's eminently doable. She was in London recently, I believe, uh, because of she was at the wedding. I, I mean, this is like Daily Mail side bear of shame that I know this. Um, but um, she was at the wedding of the woman who wrote Girls, whose name has just immediately gone. Lena out. Durham. No, that's it, Lena Dunham. She was at her, she had a wedding and Taylor Swift was there at the wedding and it was just in like, I don't know, like Soho House or one of those clubs in, in, in London that you walk past in Soho. She was just there. You're close to her. You could have taken Nancy and charmed Taylor with the amazing dog. So I will keep my eyes peeled now forevermore for Taylor's movements in a non-stalkery way. Uh, to, um, and I'll also maybe use some of my influence as like a political feminist to encourage her over. And I'm doing some work on the non-disclosure and uh, defamation being silencing women. So I think we've got a hook here and I think we can make it happen, is what I'm saying. But I, in a way, I don't want you to. You don't because, You don't no, ever want to meet Taylor. No, I think just, I, I, just the letter. I'll just send the letter. Just send her the letter. Just send Taylor the letter. I'd like to go to a party with Nancy, Mrs Rankin and Taylor Swift. I think that they would get on well. Yeah, I think so. They've all got a very similar kind of uh, vibe about them, actually, haven't they? They're, they're, they're strong, independent, dignified and, uh, and beautiful women. In writing the letters, it were, did any of the choices, like, you were like, oh, actually, that surprised me. I thought I'd pick somebody else or... Well, I think, uh, yes, because, I, because obviously, I mean, I could have thought of a, an actual human to write my first <laughs> No, I like it. You're the first, the first non-human, I believe, that we've had. So, yeah, but then I just thought, well, actually, I just really, just do really love my dog, no matter how sad that might sound. It's not sad. No, I think it can. I think it could be construed that way. I'm, I'm slightly beyond caring, so it it doesn't bother. Yeah, me. who cares? 
I mean, I think as well, you know, you get to a stage, don't you? Just like, I'd, I'd rather people thought that I was a bit sad and eccentric. I'm just really, like, you know, that brilliant poem about wearing purple. Uh, like, uh, essentially, I just want, I, I want to be more eccentric as I get yes, older. Yes, well, God help the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll just start, you know, I mean, there's plenty of people suggesting some absolutely crackers legislation that never, ever gets anywhere. So I could just sit here and just be like, I'm going to say that Wednesday should now be spelt with a T. Uh, <laughs> That sort of thing. I think it will improve the world. Well, thank you, Fee, so much for your time. It has been an absolute pleasure. And notwithstanding the Wi-Fi issues, it has been uh, lovely to hear about your letter. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, just thank you for asking me on because I really enjoyed that that whole kind of thought process. Maybe I'll actually take up letter writing again. I don't think... I think my handwriting could do about five lines and then it just turns indecipherable. Do you have that problem? No, I don't. I can't write really that much anymore. But um, in the Commons, I have to like quickly write down speeches when I'm cross about something. Uh, but even I can't decipher what I've tried to write. So no, it's we all need to practice our handwriting more. I might just dictate it through a teenager. I mean, there's got to be a, you know, there's got to be a use for having these children. So I'll do it via them. Yeah. But anyway, very nice you to talk too. to you. Thank you very much indeed for inviting. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you follow Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips on the podcast provider of your choice. And why not write a letter to your friends telling them all about this podcast? And you can also follow us on social media. We're at Jess Phillips Pod. Goodbye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.